Good morning, Grace Presbyterian Church. Thank you so much for joining us on our worship stream this morning. As you probably read in your emails, we decided that uh, with everyone gathering for Christmas, uh, that it would probably be better not to meet for in-person worship. So, like last week, this is going to be a truly virtual service, which means that all of the pieces of the service have been filmed separately, and then they were assembled in post. And a a big shout-out to... Brent and Micah for putting everything together. Uh, They've really made all of this work very well, and uh, we're very thankful to them. So while this is a a different way for us to worship, uh, I personally am very, very thankful that we have the technology in place that we can actually do this. Um, That way we can continue to worship. So as you know, uh, over the... Sorry. Over the past four weeks, we've been celebrating Advent, and uh, our sermon series for that time was Emmanuel, God's promise to a weary world. Well, first we looked at the prophecy of Emmanuel in Isaiah, uh, in which God proclaimed that wonderful truth that he himself was going to come and dwell with us. He was going to be with us. Then... After that, we, uh, the next sermon, we looked at what it actually means that Jesus is truly human and how great a comfort that is to us, followed by uh, a look of, at the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and the amazing, amazing thing uh, that we are never apart from God. And then last week, Ryan led us through 1 Corinthians, and he talked about uh, the church as the body of Christ and being one of the ways in which Christ dwells with us now. Um, The Advent season, it's traditionally four Sundays long, um, and it's uh, before Christmas time. It's a season of waiting, and it's a time that we enter into the Christmas story. Um, It's a time that we can enter into and feel uh, the the longing for the coming Messiah. And it's also a time that we can look forward to the, uh, the second advent of the Messiah. But we aren't in Advent anymore. Christmas has come. The Messiah has come. We celebrated Christmas a couple of days ago, and now we are going to look at the joy that Christmas can bring us. So I'll pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful day that you have set aside for us to worship you. As we turn to study and meditate on your word, Father, we ask that we feel you very near to us. Awaken us, Lord, to the joy that is in Christmas. The joy that you did not see fit to leave us in darkness. 
but instead you sent your son, you sent Jesus to us to shine forth in that darkness and disperse all of those gloomy clouds. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for dwelling with us and in us, for praying with us, for empowering us for this life and for binding us so close to Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so I get excited about Christmas. Do you still get excited about Christmas? Um, Because I I really get kind of overjoyed with Christmas. Not as much as I used to as a kid, though. You know, I remember that when I was a kid, I loved everything about Christmas. We decorated Christmas trees, we, <clears throat> we set up garland and lights, I meticulously planned the placement of all the ornaments, we made Christmas treats, we stayed up late because we didn't have school, and it was the best feeling in the world being with your family in that season of celebration. And I wish that I could capture that feeling again. I wish I could feel that same way. I mean, like I said, I I still get excited about Christmas, but it's not like it was. The season used to be super restful, and now it seems busy and full. And like I said, you know, I meticulously planned placement of Christmas ornaments, and now I have a hard time finding the time just to put up a tree, let alone decorate, and hanging Christmas lights. We did that actually this year, and that was great, but it's the first year that we've done it in like five years. And that used to be a great joy of mine. And now it just seems like it takes so much energy feels like a chore. You know, I used to love searching for gifts for everybody, making sure that I got everybody exactly what they would like, and usually not something on their list. I didn't want to, I didn't want to just cheap out that way. I wanted to put some thought into it, and now, you know, I just don't even know what to get anybody, and I second guess how much I'm spending, and, you know, I feel that in many ways, the joy of Christmas is just kind of elusive. That Christmas starts out, and I look forward to it, but then it's over, it's gone, and I'm just missing that feeling of joy. I'd really like to have it back. Do you ever feel like that? I, you probably do. Um, well, we're going to talk today about how we can kind of capture that again. And not just for the Christmas season, but for the entirety of the year. Because ultimately, that's what I would love. I would love 
to have that joy, that peace, that comfort all year round. Not just limited to, you know, a one-week time frame between Christmas and New Year's. So our sermon text this morning comes from the book of Matthew. Uh, It's chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Uh, It's that familiar story of the wise men coming from the east to see Jesus. So let's, let's read it and see how it applies to us. Starting in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring word to me. I want to come and worship him too. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him, and then opening their treasures... They offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, this is a familiar Christmas story. You've probably read it a dozen times or more. In fact, it's so familiar that unless we actually slow down and meditate on it a little bit, we might just rush past some of the more interesting and, frankly, astounding things that Matthew tells us here. So let's set the stage a little bit, okay? We're in Jerusalem. It's the capital city of Israel. It's a bustling place. And the wise men have just rolled into town. And we don't know how many of them there are, but we do know that they probably came with a lot of people and they caused a great stir in the city and they started asking people, where is the king? Where is the king? We saw his star rise rise in the east and we know that he's been born and we want to worship him. And word gets back to Herod. The impression that we get from Matthew here is kind of that the city's a little bit on fire because of all of the hubbub around the wise men and what they're saying. Um, and nobody knows anything about this new king. 
So that's the setting that we're in. And today I'd like to slow down and just focus on three groups of people. And particularly, we're going to focus on their reaction to the amazing news that the Christ has been born. First, we'll focus on Herod, and next, we'll look at the scribes and the priest, and finally, we'll look at the wise men. And so, let's start with Herod. So, there were a lot of Herods in history, um, so it's important to know which one that we're talking about. Uh, just to give context to the story and to his motivation. So this is Herod the Great. He wasn't Jewish. Most people, uh, historians who, who try to nail down his heritage, think that maybe he was a mixture of Jewish and Edomite. Uh, that's descendants of Esau. And that's primarily because he came from the land of Edom or where Edom would have been had it still been a country. And... It's important that he wasn't Jewish because he wasn't overly uh, familiar with the religious customs of the land. Now, when the wise men showed up in Jerusalem, he had, he had already been ruling over Judea for about 30 years. And, uh, you know, he, he was a good king in that uh, he was very profitable for the kingdom. Uh, but he was not a good man. In fact, he was kind of an evil man. He was a brutal man, very paranoid uh, that people were going to try to kill him. And really, um, he was obsessed with the thought that people were after his throne so much that he even had a couple of his sons killed because of rumors and only rumors that they were seeking the kingship. So while he wasn't Jewish and he didn't know a lot about the uh, the prophecies of the coming Messiah, and he didn't know all the ins and outs of the religion. He did know enough that when he heard about the wise men and what they were asking, he knew exactly what they were talking about. He knew exactly what they were talking about. They were talking about the Christ. And let's read again... It's uh, starting in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief, chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So he knew. He knew that they were talking about the Christ. He knew enough about the prophecies of the Messiah, to know that this was going to be the Savior of Israel. And he wasn't, he wasn't uh, actually Jewish. He knew that the coming Messiah, if he were to take control of Israel, it would mean that Herod's kingship had ended. And he was devious here. 
You know, he was greatly troubled by this, but he was devious. He summoned the wise men to him, and he told them where they could find Jesus. Let's read verse 8. And he said to them, <clears throat> and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring word to me that I too may come and worship him. Now, he wasn't an overly religious man. We know that um, just by how he comported his life. He did make a pretense of it. You know, he curried favor with the Jewish people because he started a uh, renovation project for the temple, kind of building it up, and this is a way he got Jewish leaders on his side. But he was not, he was not a believer but he was a paranoid person, and he was a devious person. And so when he heard that the Christ was to be born, his first instinct was to find out where he was so that he could kill him. His first instinct of hearing about Jesus to kill the hope of the world. And it's all because he wanted to protect his own kingdom. He wanted to protect his own rule, his own sovereignty. And he was so blinded by his own desires and what he would lose if the Messiah was allowed to come that he tried to undo Christmas. He's like the Grinch. Now, since you're watching online, and it's a couple of days after Christmas, and you are completely here by your own choice, I trust that none of you are falling into the sin of Herod, because I trust that all of you are actually believers who would tune in right now. You wouldn't fall into the sin of Herod trying to eliminate Christmas, but when we think about Satan and how Satan tries to steal our joy, isn't that what Satan would try to do? Wasn't it Satan behind Herod when Herod moved to kill Christ? I think so. And Satan, I mean, you can think of him as the ultimate Grinch. You know, he can't undo Christmas. He can't stop Jesus from being born. It's already happened. Um, and he can't actually, nowadays, in our context, undo the celebration of Christmas. But what does he do? He tries to get us to focus on everything except Christ at Christmas. That is how he kills Christ for us. There's nothing wrong with all of the trappings around our Christmas celebrations. There's nothing wrong with garland and Christmas treats and lights and trees. But unless Christ is at the center of everything that we do, we can't truly know joy. Because we don't really know what we're celebrating. He can't stop the actual day, but he can make us focus on so many other things that he steals our joy. And that's not the only way 
he does that. That's not the only method he employs. And let's, let's turn now and look at the second group of people. It's uh, the scribes and the priests. What was their reaction to the news about the Christ? I mean, they had to have heard it. The entire city heard it. So they knew that the wise men were seeking the Christ. And they knew, because they were summoned to Herod, that this is the person they were actually seeking. And let's think about that for a moment. This is the person that they have been waiting for. For 400 years, waiting since Malachi prophesied. Waiting in the pregnant silence of God in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Waiting for the Savior to come. You would think that when they heard the news, they would be incredibly excited, but Matthew doesn't tell us that. And it's interesting that he's silent about that. Why? Why is he silent about that? Well, he doesn't tell us about anybody from the scribes and the priests that actually went to Bethlehem with the wise men or after the wise men to try to find Jesus. He doesn't tell us about any of that. And it's not like Bethlehem was a far journey. You know, it was a day trip. It was five or six miles, which means on foot, you know, it would take them, you know, three or four hours because part of it was uphill. And then after they get there, you know, three or four hours back, I mean, it's, it wasn't a big time investment for them. It would be like us driving to Oklahoma City or Tulsa and back. And yet they can't even be bothered after hearing the news that the Savior has been born to go and do it. Now why? Because they were, many of them were waiting for the Savior. So why didn't they go? Well, Matthew doesn't tell us, but I think just given the rest of the Gospels, given what we know about history, that we can make a pretty good guess. They were probably very weary and worn down. You see, there were many false messiahs that had come by the time Jesus was born. Many people came claiming to be the Messiah. And it always followed the same pattern. They would raise up. They would claim to be the Messiah. They would preach out their message. They would gather a group of followers. And then they would stage a revolt against Rome. And Rome would, <laughs> Rome would reply swiftly and fairly brutally and the false Messiah would be killed. And they'd probably gone through this so many times that they just, they didn't want to believe it anymore. You know, it was too hard to get their hope up. And in spite of all the prophecies, you know, it's easy to be cynical. And 
that right there is in a way that the joy of Christmas was stolen from them through their cynicism, through their weariness. And I think that's the same danger that we run into now as Christians. You know, um, we look at Christmas and we look at everything wrong about it. It's become too secular. It's become too commercial. The songs are too repetitive. It often seems like, I want to say this right. It seems like looking from the outside that unbelievers actually do a much better job at celebrating Christmas than a lot of Christians. Now, why is that? And I, I know what you're saying. You're saying, but, but Jason, they aren't celebrating the same thing. And that's true. They're ce celebrating something much, much more mundane than we are. We are celebrating something that is infinitely better than any celebration that they could put on. Why aren't we reflecting it? Why don't we celebrate Christmas better? Well, Let's put a pin in that real quick. And let's go back to the wise men. Now, the wise men, we actually don't know very much about them. Um, Matthew doesn't tell us very much about them. Um, and they're only found here in Scripture. You know, none of the other Gospels um, make any mention of them. And so we kind of have to, we have to guess a lot about them. We know that when they came into town, there was a big enough party that all of Jerusalem was troubled by what they said. So it, it was a lot of people that came in. Now, we don't know how many wise men there were, but they evidently had a large party that was with them. We also know that they were astronomers or astrologers, however you want to say it. Um, there wasn't really a division between astrology and astronomy back then. It was kind of one and the same. And we also know that they were from the east. And so putting all that together, along with the fact that Matthew, uh, the Greek word that he uses of them is magi, and that's the same word that's used in the book of Daniel to describe the, uh, the court counselors to the king. And so we're, it's a very specific term. It's usually only applied to either magicians in a very negative sense or very specifically to you know, an advisor to a Persian or a Babylonian king. And so we can kind of guess that they come from Persia. They're probably acquainted in some way, with, probably through Daniel, with uh, some of the Old Testament scriptures. 
They're, they know enough, even though they're not Jewish, even though they're Gentiles. They know enough that when they see the star that, by the way, all the people in Jerusalem had to have seen, they say, that is a fulfillment of prophecy. It means that the king of Israel has been born, that the Messiah has been born. And it was a huge journey to go from Persia to, to Jerusalem. And it was about 2,000 miles the way that they had to go because they couldn't cross the desert. And it would have taken months to do that. It would have taken more time to even just set up for the journey. And yet, they saw the star and they traveled 2,000 miles and months and months of their time just to see the king. It's interesting that the Gentiles put so much more effort into it than the Jewish leaders. And I think that, that speaks to just the destructive power of cynicism. You know, the, the scribes and the priests had much more cause to be joyful because they knew a lot more. And yet, they didn't even bother to, to walk to Bethlehem. Now, when the wise men got, got to Jesus, let's read the text again. It says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures. They offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And these were very, very kingly gifts. Their, their immediate reaction upon seeing the destination that, you know, what they had been longing for, finding the Messiah at the end of this long journey, their, their immediate reaction was to worship him. And they offered him kingly gifts, and a lot, of, a lot of the commentators will say that these gifts, you know, are reflective of a, a lot of parts of who Jesus is, you know, the gold is a gift only fit for a king, the frankincense is a gift only fit for a priest, and myrrh is an oil that's used in many ways, but it's used primarily in embalming bodies, preparing them for burial. But it's, it's unlikely that the wise men would have known that. While it is a fulfillment of things that the Old Testament said would happen to the Messiah, they were just giving huge gifts, whatever they could give, all out of their joy. 
So where does that leave us? I mean, know what you're saying. You know, great Jason, be like, be like the wise man. Don't be like the scribes. Don't be like the priests. Don't be cynical. And that's hard. I mean, how do we do that? I mean, it's, it's hard to fight that cynicism. And I, I think that the answer to that lies in what motivated the wise men. Why did they go? They, go, they went because they knew that the Savior of the world had been born. We know way much more than they do. They went out of their limited knowledge knowing that the Savior had been born and it caused them to worship Jesus. And we, in order to, I mean, in order to capture that joy on a permanent basis, need to do the same thing. We worship Jesus. We recognize that you know, it's cliche in Christian circles to know, to say that the true gift of Christmas is Jesus, but that's true. Jesus is God's gift to the world. It's God's gift to believers. It's in Jesus that all of the promises of the Old Testament have been proved true. And have been fulfilled. It's in Jesus that we are bound back to God. Tied back to him. That we're grafted in. And that, that realization is what is going to restore your joy. And it's, it's something that we have to preach to ourselves every day. When we wake up, we have to say it again and again. Jesus has saved me. Jesus loves me. And I know that. I know that. Because God sent him into the world, born of a woman. Fully human. Fully God. So that he could live the life that I should live and die the death that I should die. So, practical ways. Practical ways before, before we end. First, read the Bible. Read the Bible every day. Just a little bit. Even a, a verse a day. Just to guide your prayer life. Just read it. It's God's word to you. And it's in that that you will find that you are more loved than you ever could have hoped. I mean, another practical way. Be like the wise men. Give gifts. You know, we give gifts to people that we love. And we give gifts to show people that we care about them. And... The gifts that we give, yes, it can be tithing. That would be that's just fine. It can also be gifts to other believers. Because whatever you do 
in Jesus' name to the least person you've done to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful gift that you have given us in Jesus. We ask, Lord, that you restore the joy of our salvation daily, that there never be a time that we feel alone, that we feel without you, that there never be a time that we don't know that you love us. And we ask, Lord, that you use that knowledge to motivate us, to to drive us out into the world, proclaiming the great things that you have done. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead emptying yourself and taking on our flesh. All so that you could be with us. We thank you that you loved us so much that you want to be with us for eternity. And you have guaranteed that. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you for dwelling in us, praying with us when we don't know what to pray. Directing our thoughts to Jesus when they wander onto other things, lesser things. And we thank you for tying us to our Savior with an unbreakable bond. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.